Vineyard from Matthew chapter 20 verses 1 to 16. In this farm they had a big order to fill and the grapes had to be shipped out that very evening. It was imperative for this delivery to be made on time because otherwise they could lose this big contract with a major supermarket chain. Unfortunately, many of the regular workers called in sick and they were going to be away for the whole of the day. What was the boss to do? So desperate was he that he goes out into the street to look for casual staff. He went to the unemployment office early in the morning where some of the young fit men were already there looking for work. They, uh, they wanted, they didn't just want to work for nothing, they wanted a contract uh, up front, so they knew, they wanted to know exactly how much they were going to pay. So the boss tells them, I'm going to give you $300 to work today in my farm. The men thought that was a pretty good rate, so gladly accepted, got into his truck, and off they went to work. Soon the boss realised that the picking was still way behind. It was way behind schedule and he needed even more pickers if the truck were going to leave on time that evening. So at 9am he went up again, he got into his, his small truck and went to the unemployment office. More young men were standing around and the boss told them, come work for me, I'll pay you a fair wage. The men took him at his own word and went to work picking grapes. Soon the owner realised that he needed a lot more pickers. So he, you know, he went again. At midday he went to hire more help and hired more men and now he realised that there was a bottleneck in his production line. And it happened in the shed where instead of pickers he needed packers. And these people were going to be working in a shed in air-conditioned environment where they were going to be sorting the grapes and packing them ready for shipping. So he went back at 3pm and hired some more. Still, still there were so many grapes that needed to be packed. He even went back at 5, a mere hour before knock-off time to hire more men. And each time, they didn't know how much they were going to get paid, but he did tell them, I'm going to pay you a fair wage. By sunset, good news, the boxes were all packed and loaded and the trucks were there already shipped, ready, leaving the yard. As a business owner, he looked back and knew that it had been one of those days. Somehow they got through it. And he and his son were relieved and in, good, in a good mood as he was able to keep his word with his supermarket chain and he was able to meet the deadline and keep his contract. But the day was not over. And a new challenge was brewing and it had to do with industrial relations. And it happened that 
it seemed to happen when the time came to pay the, the staff, the casual staff. He told his son, who was the foreman, to pay the men. And he started first with the ones who'd worked the least hours, the ones who started at 5pm. They were paid three brand new crisp $100 bills. Then it came to the ones who started work at 3pm and he also gave them $300. And on it went, the son paying those who started at midday at 12 and then those who started at 9am. He gave them all $300 each. And it finally, the whole situation, however, got pretty... pretty, uh, Delicate when the men who started work at 6am got their pay and they found out that they had the same amount of pay as the guys who only work for one hour. They actually got downright mad. They rang their union and the union was threatening to leave the crates uh, in the truck at the point of delivery. They weren't going to ship them out to the supermarket. Some even made anonymous calls threatening to hurt the farmer and his family. And the standoff uh, went on for a while. And so in a last ditch effort, the boss came down to, to talk to the union rep. And he said, men, I was honest with you. Didn't we have a contract and you all agreed to work for me for $300? Yeah, they shouted, but you guys, you know, you, you, you paid the, the guys who worked just one hour the same amount of money that you paid us. And many of us were out in the hot sun picking grapes all day while the ones who started late were in the air-conditioned shed just shorting and packing. That's not fair. The owner and boss replied, you are forgetting something. This is my farm, it is my business and you fellows agreed to work the day for $300. If I want to pay these others the same for less work, what's your problem? Are you angry because I'm generous? As we continue to look at the parables of the kingdom this morning, we, we look at the workers in the vineyard and I've just made a modern application of what that might look like. We, we, the reason for us in speaking of the kingdom, we can think about it in theoretical terms, in doctrinal terms, and that's all well and good, but Jesus actually gave us some wonderful parables to describe for us what the kingdom of God was like in terms that we can understand it, to teach us about God's kingdom and the principles and rules of the kingdom. So here we have some important lessons for the workers in the kingdom and it has to do with the attitude of the heart with which we work. So first of all, we look at the nature of the work in verses 1 to 7, the nature of the work. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. 
And about nine in the morning he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. Hold on to that phrase, I will pay you whatever is right. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around and he asked them, why you've been standing around all day doing nothing? Because no one hired us, they answered. And he said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. Now, there's obviously a great deal of work, of, of work involved in, in doing everything that needs to be done in this vineyard. In, in my interpretation, I just kept it to picking grapes and packing boxes. And uh, I know that some people today, particularly city people, have these uh, idealistic notions of how wonderful it would be to, to live in a vineyard and to grow grapes and to live in this lush, beautiful estate. People come and you know, spend the day and so and so. But you see, it's actually a lot of work involved in this. Um, in that uh, place, uh, usually uh, the vineyard will be on the side of a hill. There will be a lot of rocks that need a clearing. You need to dig up the trenches, uh, plant the vines. Um, then uh, comes the maintaining and the pruning of the vines and eventually harvesting the grapes. All of this is labour intensive. So you need the workers to get the job done. So he goes out looking for the workers early before the work the work day begins. He offers them a denarius in that money. We've translated into modern dollars, even in the in the NIV they've done that. He offers them a denarius, which is an excellent pay, which is exactly what the Roman soldiers were paid. They were paid one denarius per day. And he continues calling at different hours and gathers more workers with promise of a fair pay. These people could not get other work or worked only a partial part of the day, only part of the day, so they relished the chance to be able to at least do a little bit of work, get a bit of money. In that, in many places of the world, and certainly in this context, the workday began at 6am. 6am therefore became the first hour. Sun up. Day labourers were always looking for work and they went to the market where the employers went to hire. At 6am you would get the best workers who bear, who are able to physically carry the most crucial part of the work. They start the work. They work the longest, the hardest. The subsequent workers only worked part of the day or were simply not hired. Those who were called to go and work in the sixth and the ninth hour reveals more of the kindness of the owner who went out and hired people who were still without work. 
they were not as able as those who had started at 6am. But by the time you get to the 11th hour, the 11th hour is a symbolic, it represents the last possible chance, right? That's at 5 in the afternoon, the 11th hour. And that was, these were the least able workers, usually the oldest or even disabled. Remember, we are talking in an environment where there are no pensions, there are no funds available for those who are disabled like we have in our country. The 11th hour, therefore, represented the very, very last chance to do something just to get some type of food or or income. The very last chance. The landowner represents God. The vineyard represents his kingdom. When the Lord hires labourers at different times to work in his vineyard, this represents the Lord's call for all people to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour at different stages in their lives and to enter the kingdom of heaven. Anyone who accepts Christ will become a citizen and a worker in the kingdom. Now let's look at the nature of the reward, verses 8 to 12. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last one hired and going to the first. The workers were hired about five in the afternoon, came and each received a denarius. So when those who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each of, of them also received a denarius. And then when they received it, they began to grumble against the lander, the landowner. And he, and he said, those, these who were hired last work only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal with us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. In the law of Moses, the Mosaic law, it stated that workers were to be paid the day that they worked. So this owner pays the workers last to first. The issue is not that they were not getting paid, but that last as well as the first workers all receive the same full wage. The last workers will be delighted while the first workers furious. I firmly believe they were treated unfairly, believing they deserve more. And you understand. You understand them. I mean, they, they, they had worked a full day, back-breaking work in the heat of the sun, and the, and the word used there in the, in the original language actually means the burner. Because the, the, the wind and the, and the heat, it was dry, this dry burning east wind which made it even painful to breathe at times. And you have to feel sorry for them. They worked jolly hard. The owner of the vineyard, or God, called the steward to deliver the wages at the end of the day. Who is the steward? 
It is Jesus Christ. And when the Lord calls his children home, Jesus is going to give each person his or her pay for his labour in the kingdom. And the pay that Christians receive from Jesus Christ is eternal life. Shall we call that in industrial relations term or Fair Work Australia, we could call it the minimum wage, eternal life. And this goes to all people who have been called by the Lord. A day represents a person's life. And life is full of many hardships and difficulties as we know, especially for Christians. I'm not, we're not being, playing the victim here, this is just the reality. Christians historically often face persecution for their faith. Jesus' parable reveals that at the end of one's life, those who have accepted Christ early in life and those who have accepted him in the middle or even at the end of their lives will receive the same payment which represents eternal life in the kingdom of heaven. A great example of this is the thief on the cross. Right? He wasn't able to work in the vineyard. He wasn't able to go back and, and undo many of the things that he did wrong. He was nailed to a cross, about to die, and at the very last moment, surrenders to Christ. Please remember me. And Jesus gave him that promise. Have you ever had conversations with people saying, well, don't you fear death? Don't you, you know, think about heaven? And I've, I've had these conversations and some of them will say, well, yeah, I'll just wait a little bit longer. But just, you know, when it's time, I'll think I'll, uh, I'll start thinking about heaven. But right now, I'm just having, you know, I'm having a great time. You know, being a Christian, you've got to do this, you can't do that, you can't do that. And, and so I'll, I'll just leave that till behind, till the end of the days, and then I'll buy my ticket. Literally, I mean, that, I'm just paraphrasing here, but that's sort of the conversation, the way it goes. Inside of them, I said, well, how do you know when it might be today God calls you home? Oh, I'll take the chance. Having said all this, the point of the parable is not that all in the kingdom will receive the same reward. We will all get this minimum wage, the guarantee of heaven. But because the Bible does talk of rewards, but that the kingdom rewards depend on God's sovereign grace. And one reason for the rewards in heaven is that Jesus shares his rewards with us. Where do we see this? Romans 8.17, this is what it says. It says, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If 
if what? If we indeed share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Co-heirs with Christ. We get to share the benefits of the kingdom with the Son. Does anyone in here think that the owner was there? Paying the same wage to everybody according to the amount of work? No. Paying men who work one hour the same of salary as men who work 11 hours is not fair. Some of those guys work really hard and others hardly work. God paid the same. Is this some type of communist system that Jesus is, is pushing right here? Is it? No! But it's still not fair. Let me say this, that if total fairness is something that you value highly, then being a Christian is something that you will have to seriously reconsider. Did you know that God is unfair in the way that he deals with mankind? It's unfair for God to show us mercy. It's unfair that God gave us a chance after chance after chance to repent, sending one person and another person and another person. It's unfair. It's unfair that God sent his perfect one and only son to die for our sins. And it's not fair that all we have to do is repent of our sins and ask forgiveness in order to receive mercy and have our sins forgiven. It's unfair that he sends his Holy Spirit to live in us, inside of us, and direct us every minute of every day. It's unfair that we're going to live forever in a place called heaven with him. Do you think, do you think it's fair that some of my fellow pastors Do I think it's fair that some of my fellow pastors are being tortured for their faith at this very moment in places like China and in other places because they refuse to bow down to the the government or to the communists or whoever it is, while here I get upset because someone wrote something nasty to me on Facebook? Do I think it's fair? Do you think it's fair that some Christians are walking on foot for miles with their kids to get to church on a Sunday morning like today, while here in Australia we complain about having to wake up early and having to listen to a boring sermon? Do you think that's fair? Let's go to the Bible. Remember the story of Stephen? One of the first Christian martyrs, the book of Acts. Just imagine that uh, you were part of Stephen's family, well, left a few years later, right? And here there is a, there's a, a preacher, a new preacher who's going to come and visit your church. 
Oh, and you know his name. Because he was there while they were stoning your brother, your son. You were there. He was there. His name was Saul. But now he's called Paul and he's going to come and preach at your church. Are you going to turn up to church that morning to listen to Paul? I said, no, I hate him with all my guts. I could never forgive him for what he did to our old Stephen. Where is the justice in that, I ask you? Let's face it, folks. Our sense of fairness and justice are all messed up. Folks, grace is, is, is a wonderful and amazing thing. We, we sing about amazing grace, but it is also confronting. It is challenging. Are you glad that we live with an unfair God? Are you glad? Based on the description that we have received. He does not treat us according to to what? To our sins deserve. He does not treat us. He doesn't punish us. Because if he was fair, if he was just, we would get exactly what we deserve. And we could do and say nothing about it. So let's look a little bit more at the nature of our God looking at the nature of the Master, verses 13 to 16. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. There's that word, fair. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Listen to this. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. The Lord answered the group's complaint and he is speaking to, to one person that he calls friend. Here, the language used is not a close friend, but a, but a casual companion. And this friend was probably the spokesman for the group, or better known as the union rep. And the landowner states the fact. Those first workers agreed to work the day for the wage. That was the contract. It was, it was agreed upon. There was no right to anything more and nothing has been done or handled wrongly apart from what was agreed upon. Their claim of unfairness has no basis as nothing is owed to them beyond what was promised. Furthermore, it's his land, his risk, his business, He can do whatever he desires to do with it. And I'm sure Fair Work Australia is going to love this. 
How can a worker tell the boss what to do with his money? Got to love Australia, right? Remember, it is not about you. It's about him, the boss, the master, the Lord. The kingdom of God is not a democracy. The kingdom of God is God's kingdom. Let's recall Jesus' seaside chat with Peter. Remember how we concluded our series in the Gospel of John. Peter looked behind his shoulder, over his shoulder, and he said, what about him? Pointing towards, towards John, right? And Jesus basically answered to Peter, Peter, it's none of your business. None of your business what happens to him. You worry about my sheep and follow me. That's your calling, okay? What I decide to do with him, how I treat him, how long I want him to live, it's my, my vineyard, my kingdom, my rules. You follow me. And the principle in the world is that, you see, we, we, we try to get those laws from outside and all these other worldly principles into working in the kingdom, that he who works the longest with the most qualifications receives the most pay. That is just according to the world's standards. But in the kingdom of God, the principle of merit and ability may be set aside so that what? So that grace may prevail. Didn't I say that grace hurts? God alone initiates and accomplishes the work of salvation. God alone establishes the terms of salvation. God continues to call people into his kingdom. God shows compassion to the helpless, to the hopeless. God gives his workers what is promised and more than what is deserved. Therefore, a proper attitude is needed to come to God and to serve him. God has complete and sovereign Grace. And God's great gifts are distributed not because they are earned, but because He is gracious. You have not earned anything. And as I said before, we live in dangerous times when the principles of grace. The, the further you see, this just goes, the further we move away from God, the principles of grace are being discarded and we go back to, to law, to legalities. We're actually becoming nastier rather than more gracious. And you can see it. You can feel it. And there is a palpable atmosphere of anger and resentment out there, about, which is unhealthy for all of us. 
The more entitled you believe you are, the more resentments you carry in life, the more ungrateful you become. You start to, even as a Christian, you start to close your eyes to the daily blessings and you completely shut out the greatest blessing, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. And what a blessing it will be to spend eternity with the one who loved us first and foremost so that we can live with him for all of eternity. Do we deserve that? No. He gave his life for you and me. Glory to the Father and he is forever glorious. So let me ask you again, what if you had to choose between justice and grace? How would you go? How, which side would you lean? Between earthly justice and divine grace. Which would you choose? No, I want justice now. It's not fair. I want justice now, right now. God looks at Paul, not Paul the Apostle, this Paul, and he says, well, it's my business. I can do whatever I want. If you want justice, you're going to have to wait. It's the end of time. For now, my grace is sufficient. It is enough. Right? Stop the whinging. Stop the complaining. Oh no, you've got a, a big thorn on your side. Yeah, it hurts every morning. It's my vineyard. You get the privilege to work. You get the privilege to work with all these wonderful workers. Some have started early. Some have started late. Some have laboured and cried over tech stuff that doesn't work. While others just turn up and, oh, isn't this great, right? It's all set up wonderful for us. And you're saying, is it fair? Well, it's not. Not in our earthly understanding of fairness, it's not. But this is not our economy, it's God's. It's his company, his business, his farm, his vineyard. And one last point as we conclude. The phrase, you've heard it before, right? The phrase, first will be last and last will be first. It's found, this phrase is actually found in four major passages of the Bible. And every time the phrase occurs, it refers to the fact that one's position in this life does not give a person an advantage in gaining eternal life or salvation. Just because you've had all these people look up to you. Oh, he was a pastor. Oh, Get all these people in church, you led this many people to Christ. Oh no. Ooh, St. Peter's going to roll out the red carpet when he goes to the pearly gates. No, 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 no. That's not the way it works. And every time Jesus uses the phrase, the message is the same. 
does not matter who you are in this world or what we have done. Eternal life is for those who believe him. Those who repent of their sins, commit themselves to him and lovingly, lovingly, graciously serve him until the day he calls them home. That is the nature of the Master. He is gracious, he is loving, he is caring. What more do you want him to give than what he has already given us? He has given us his best in Jesus Christ. Our days are not enough to repay our debt to him. And we shouldn't have to because it's all been laid on Jesus. For now, let us serve and love him graciously until the end of our days.